see here. We got Psalm 119, verse 25. Here we go. Hi, Carol. Hey, Carol. The left. Dollar. Door, which is what Carol just walked through. Yes. Move, hang, entrance. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from the deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. <coughs> do, not, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for I have set my for you, for you have set my heart free. Nice. Wow. Okay, now what is her name? Bree? Bree. Okay, well, we've got a couple uh, prayer requests. One for Bree. We've got uh, Paul, who is... Uh, uh, had his surgery on Monday. He's doing fine. Um, or Monday. Thursday. Yesterday. It was uh, the 31st. Whatever. Oh, so I was just looking at that, so I'm yeah. off by days. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was on the 31st, and he's doing fine. He won't be here tonight or at church on Sunday, but uh, all is good. He seems okay with it, and I, I asked him in my last email, do you have any pain? No answer. Um, wow. So I don't know about that. And we want to pray for uh, Don, who uh, is... Uh, uh, has had cancer and he has a high PSA. He may need to continue his uh, his uh, chemo. He doesn't know. And then we have my friend Kim, who is out. <laughs> I'm thinking Sunday. I know I'm forgetting somebody. And if I don't write things down, I just forget. But Kim has had uh, a problem, and we just I don't have permission to say it, so um, I don't want to <laughs> go. But we'll keep him in prayer. And then <laughs> we have some really good news: is that Lothar. Mm. It's cancer-free. Wow. Our friend from Germany that attends online, That's and he's amazing. he's here with us all the time. That's he's always amazing. here with us. He is cancer-free, and uh, he got his report yesterday, and he had a barbecue yesterday night, which is, they say, that's carcinogenic, <laughs> but that's okay. You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, and then uh, Graham, who was out of the hospital after 52 days, had to go back to the hospital oh, no. this morning, and uh, they were going to readmit him, and then they told him to leave. So he thinks everything's okay, but... He says the healthcare over there, which used to be world class, is now because liberals have taken it over, is completely ruined. So he doesn't know his status, but we'll go ahead and lift them up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the good news about Lothar. That's certainly a real blessing to to receive that, and we're so grateful to you for for having been with him through something that was very very serious, and uh, certainly your hand took care of him in a way that. Uh, the chemo could not have. You've been with them all the way through this. And um, we pray for each of the other people that we mentioned, Lord. You know what's wrong with them individually, and you know if there's something that needs to be tended to, and we would ask that your hand would be with them. And if medical assistance is needed, then they would follow the doctor's orders, but uh, keep you in their their uh, priority because you are the ultimate physician. You can heal even without any any medicines if it's your desire. We would pray, though, that whatever it is, that each one of these people would come back to a complete and full standing before you in regards to their health. We thank you for this time that we have here in the book of Romans. Pretty wonderful stuff, Lord, and we're just, uh, it's an exciting book, and we thank you that we can go through it, and uh, we just love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this precious word and the chance to fellowship 
well looking it over. And Lord, we give all credit to you, all glory, all honor, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's see here. We're in Romans 5, verse 10. Nine. Is it nine? I have to, Did I say nine? Ten. I got ten. Okay. Hang on. Let me let me look. I'm I uh I have been wrong once before, but um let's see here. Romans nine. Um well we have to be in Romans ten. I circled it and I got rid of uh, Romans five nine, so uh Okay, well then how about if I read nine? Read again? yeah, read start with eight. <laughs> and um yeah, I, I have Okay, eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And for if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? Through his life. Okay, now while you're doing that, I'm going to look at something really quickly because I don't want to be wrong on this. Um, we're going to go to, uh, uh, let me just go back here, and uh, I just don't want to be wrong on that and uh, find out that I, I skipped a, a, a verse that, uh, oops, cancel, hang on, give me one second here, Leviticus sermons, Jonah, Romans Bible study, yeah, 5, 3 through 9, we did last week, so we're in good shape, yeah, I was, I was pretty sure of that, and uh, okay, so let me read uh, verse 10, so not, not much different than yours, um, for if we... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. <clears throat> Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, back in verse 9, it spoke of something that people don't want to hear about in today's world. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, justified, we, stand, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And that kind of leads us into verse 10 anyway, is that God is a God of love, but if you are not on the love side of God, you are on the wrath side of God. That's all there is to it. The world does not like to hear that. But God's wrath is evident because of what we have done, not because of what is his by nature. Okay, his nature is loving, it's righteous, it's just, it's uh, holy. And if you think of a column, God doesn't change. We change in relation to God. So if I'm on this side of God, and this is his loving side, and I say, I'm going to do something that offends him. He doesn't change. God is immovable. We simply move to another side. If we are not on the loving side, we must be on the wrath side. Why? Because we've talked about this before. All of his attributes. He is righteous. He has to judge our sin. He must do it or he is not righteous, right? He is just. Everything he does is fair. It is <clears throat> equitable. It is, it is unchanging. And so if he does not judge our sins, then he would be unjust. He would be the unjust judge. He is the perfectly just and righteous judge. He's holy. He is set apart from us. If we do something to offend God, we move away from his holiness. Then the further you move away from those positive attributes, you become an object of wrath. Not because he's wrathful in the sense of that being his nature, but because he must judge our sins, okay? So he's talking about being justified. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we are declared not guilty because of what another person did. We shall be saved from his wrath, the natural outcropping of not being on the positive side of his attributes, okay? We'll be saved from his wrath through him, meaning Christ Jesus. So verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, 
much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, meaning the life of Christ, okay? Verse 10. Four, again, uh, begins Paul's thought. He is reasserting and building on what was just noted. There was a time when we were enemies of God. I just explained that. We think of the immovable pillar, and then we just move in relation to him. But Christ came and reconciled us to him. Reconciliation is not something that God needs from us. And this is one thing that people all over the world misunderstand about God. It's as if he needs us to be reconciled to him, or he needs us to love him, or he needs something from us. He doesn't need anything. He is fully sufficient in and of himself. There, the doctrine of the Trinity shows us that he is fully complete and he needs nothing else. He is eternally in fellowship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? That will never change. He created out of an act of love, and in order for us to fellowship with him, we are the ones that have to be in the right standing, not him. He already is. He needs absolutely nothing from us. But the world gets this wrong, and they think that they God owes them a favor because of how good they are. That is completely the wrong attitude to have, okay? Reconciliation is not something that God needs from us. It is something that we need from God. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. The enmity was ended and the hostility was ceased. As I said, it's not that we uh, that God wants to have enmity with us. It's that it must be there because we have transgressed his attributes, his righteousness, his justice, his holiness, okay? That has to be reconciled. And I did it one time. I took all of his attributes and I showed you how they're all at attention with one another. In the middle, you just put a picture of, uh, uh, you, you make a circle and you've got all of his attributes and he can't demonstrate this one without violating this one without violating all the way around in this circle. And the only way that we can have these attributes reconciled is through the cross of Christ. It is, it is perfect in what God has done, obviously, because God, uh, you know, he developed this plan of redemption from his mind, his eternal mind, and it is something that is absolutely perfect in the ability to reconcile us to him. The hostility has ceased. So here, imagine a battle line where there is an overwhelming attacking power facing a weak and defenseless one. Okay, you got this giant force here, you got this weak and defenseless force <laughs> over here. There's only the expectation of complete annihilation of the weak forces. Their doom is assured and they will be utterly swept away. But when the crisis was at the moment of completion, the hostility ceased, and the commander of the attacking forces steps forward and lays down his weapons of destruction. He puts them down in the presence of the astonished defenders. He calls out, we are offering you peace. This is the state that we were in. There was absolutely no hope. We were on a one-way avenue to destruction when God stepped in and offered us terms of peace. And that's the way it is. It is not the other way around. As people love to, oh, you know, I'm going to make peace with God. I'm going to do this in order to please God. It is impossible. He is the one that is the offended party. He is the one that is in the right standing, and he is the one with all of the power, and yet he laid down the office <coughs> of peace, okay? He, he offered us Jesus. Now think it through. If we were enemies in this situation, this is what Paul is saying here. I'm going to read it again. If we were recon if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay? If we were enemies in this situation, and he did this because of his own goodness, 
in his own benevolence by offering his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? In other words, and without muddying the waters with any other issue or any other verse in Scripture, we are eternally saved. If you can't get that from this verse, if you are one of these people that believes that you can lose your salvation, you are completely mishandling the Word of God. This one verse, if no other verse in Scripture shows, which a billion do, this one verse shows us that if we were enemies and God made the terms and said, I am offering you this term of peace, how could you lose that? It would be completely to contrary to what he has just done in the offering of his son. Completely contrary to it, okay? So, why would God allow Christ to go through all of the torture of the cross, thus offering us peace and reconciliation, just to turn around and condemn us after we have accepted the terms? It makes no sense at all. It makes absolutely no sense. But this is what people will argue, because I don't know if it's it's a desire to prove that God you know, can still change his mind. I don't know if it's, uh, uh, you know, pastors that teach this doctrine that you can lose your salvation. Know that by teaching you can't lose your salvation, that they might lose some people because God's grace is sufficient, and so I don't need to go to church. I don't know what the perverse thinking is in people that would say that God has done this thing, offered his son, and said, these are the terms. This is the term. If you believe, you will be saved. That's all it is, Romans 10, 9, and 10, okay? I'm offering you this, and if you accept it, you will be saved. To turn around and say, I've changed my mind. I am no longer accepting what the terms that I have offered. God doesn't change. God has no change in him. What he does is eternal. God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie also. So when he says, you are saved, and then he takes it back, then God did not tell the truth. It so is perverse. The point is always it's, it's control. Anyone who twists scripture is doing it for control. That's what that's I think. That's the ultimate control. For that's anybody right. who's, you know, got a flock and, you know, they're yeah. they, just to keep tighter and closer to rain. Like, I, you know, I, I completely have, agree I'll be the that. one deciding what God is going to do with your salvation, right. pull it or not. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It, it is perverse. But once again, there are people that maybe are not pastors and they still teach this. And because of that, there must be something else that's impelling them as well. And people in that position, like I say, maybe it's just a desire to say, I am sufficient to work my way beyond what God has done in Christ. In other words, it comes back to their own works, their own goodness. There is no goodness in us. There's nothing good in us except for what Christ has done that we have voluntarily received and accepted and been granted. And so to say, well, now I'm saved and I've got to keep doing something in order to be saved shows a complete perverse nature in the the thinking of that person. It's something they need to change, they need to eradicate, and they need to trust that what God says is true. Let every man, let God be true and every man a liar. We will never change what God has done. We cannot add to it, and what he has done is complete, it is sufficient, and it is finished, okay? When he said it's finished on the cross, he wasn't kidding. It is finished. When you believe, you receive. And when you receive, you're given the Holy Spirit. It is a guarantee. All right. The whole thing stems from, as you said, power on one end, and it's got to be a perverse nature of just wanting to prove that you, they can outdo God on the other. I, I just don't know. So um, what have we got here? Hello. How are you? Hello. How are you? Two ladies showing up at the same time, and I'm related to both of them, and they didn't come together. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Um, I'm going to ask that again. Why would God allow Christ to go through all the torture of the cross 
thus offering peace and reconciliation just to turn and condemn us after we accepted the terms. Makes no sense. It is inconceivable, and such a notion actually diminishes the glory, the majesty, and the reliability of the work of Christ. In Christ, there is the sure hope of eternal salvation, not eternal insecurity. The Bible never uses the term eternal insecurity, and it is also never implied in the Bible. Never. Now, we, I talk with my friend Mike uh, by email about 500 times a day, and he will say some things are implied in Scripture, and I agree. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity is never mentioned explicitly in the Bible. You look for the word Trinity, and you will never find it, but it is implied throughout Scripture. You will never find the term original sin in the Bible, but it's implied. It is implied from the beginning all the way to the end, original sin. The doctrine of the rapture, you know, it's a different word, but people will say, well, the, the rapture is never, uh, the word rapture is never used in the Bible or, you know, whatever. doesn't make any difference. There is an a occurrence which is described in the Bible, which means exactly the word rapture in English. It doesn't matter if the Greek word is harpazo and the uh, Japanese word is, um, you know, uh, tokoyozama. It doesn't make any difference what it is, the the concept is there and we have words to fit a concept trinity original sin rapture etc same thing with this eternal salvation there's no such thing as eternal insecurity in scripture okay anyway um life application take time to read the theology of the church or denomination that you attend if they teach that you can lose your salvation you need to make new arrangements for your worship. The efficacy of the cross of Christ is complete and it is eternal. Why would you attend where such a glorious hope is traded for bondage and insecurity? Exactly as he said a moment ago. And I will give you an example. I may have said it in a previous Romans uh, uh, class. If I have, I apologize. But um, there was a church of God on Fruitville Road that needed a new pastor. Okay. And I knew quite a few of the people at that church. This was when I was at Grace Baptist Church, and I had already been ordained. And they all said, Charlie, would you come and would you apply to be the pastor of this church? And I said, there's a couple things, reasons why I can't. One, they require the pastor in the Church of God to go through their seminary and be or, ordained through their their stuff, okay? They don't want anybody from the outside. And then I went through a list, and I said, I would come and preach to you, but I would never accept a job on the payroll there because they do not teach proper doctrine at those seminaries, and the people that are ordained had to agree to those doctrines. They said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, they say you uh, can lose your salvation. They say this, they say that. There's about five or six principal tenets that I gave them, and I said, this is what the Church of God teaches. And they said, well, we don't believe that. They said, we believe what you believe. And I said, well, then you shouldn't be in that church anymore, should you? Because what they teach just because that's why you should check what the doctrine of the church is not just what uh the pastor in that church says because some pastors don't teach what the doctrine of the church is they just teach whatever you know they've gone through that seminary the thing is though they have agreed to the tenets of that seminary they have agreed to the tenets of the church of god or whatever denomination they're in if they are not teaching what they have agreed to then they are as dishonest about their theology as they are about telling you whatever they're telling you the Church of God believes when it doesn't believe it at all. Check with the denomination. Find out if there's a disconnect. Here's another very good example. When I went through, uh, uh, I went to, uh, was looking for a college to go to, and I, uh, you know, went to several of these colleges. 
uh, reading what they believed. And I said, I'm not going there. That's insane. You know, all these different colleges. And uh, a friend sent me a link to the one that I finally went to, Southern Evangelical Seminary and Bible College, which was up in Matthews, North Carolina. And he said, check this out. It's a great college. I think you'll like it. Norman Geisler established it. He's, you know, great apologist, and he's a Thomistic theologian. He's very sound. And so I checked out their doctrine, which they you're required to read that, and then you're required to sign a document that says, I agree to this doctrine. And it was several pages long of all of the points that they believed in. And two words in that entire document, which was probably, we'll say it was five pages long, Two words in that entire document I emailed them about. I said, I agree with everything you've said here, pre-tribulation, this, and, you know, uh, you know, just everything. The church has not replaced Israel, and on and on, and all of the doctrines of the church. Two words, total depravity. And I emailed them, and I said, what does this mean to you? Because if it means what it means to a Calvinist church, I can't sign this, this uh, document. And he came back, and he said, we believe that total depravity means this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, that is exactly what it means. That's not what Calvinism teaches. It's, as you've described it, we would call it moderate Calvinism. Okay. And so I signed the document. When I got up there and I was in one of the classes and it was a Daniel class and they were talking about um, uh, the rapture, um, uh, premillennialism, pre-tribulation rapture and all of these different things. And while in that class, the guy was teaching this, and about five or six people during the class asked questions about a pre-tribulation rapture, and they said, well, I'm not sure if I believe that, blah, blah, blah. That was one of the things that was on the document that they signed in order to join that college. So it means that, one, they either didn't read it or they just disregarded it, or two, they didn't understand what they were signing, which shows a, a character flaw to me in them, because they were willing to sign something without <coughs> understanding it. I got to two words in a document of five pages or so, and I said, I need to know what they believe. I'm not going to sign something unless I know that it is what I agree to, or I can pen in what I believe if they will allow me to do that and say, this is my take on that issue. Otherwise, I'm not signing that and I'm not joining this college. But there were people that actually had no idea what that statement of faith said that they had signed. And I thought that's that's it. all over the place. There's pastors all over the world like that that are in churches that are in denominations, if they don't teach what that denomination teaches, it is them who are not abiding by the rules of their church. They are the ones that are responsible. The church has set the guidelines, all right, even if they're screwing. And they were at the Church of God. Many, many crazy doctrines, but that was what they were required to teach. Anyway, there you go. Little life application on that particular issue. Okay, eternal salvation is what the Bible teaches, and that is what you will find in this church, because that is what the Bible teaches. Okay. 511. 5.11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Oh, wonderful. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God, very close to your words, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Done deal. We are reconciled. Verse 5.11. Paul, adding on to the previous verse, says, and not only that, excuse me, in addition to the amazing fact that we were reconciled to God through Jesus' death and saved by his life, we have the wondrous prospect of rejoicing in God through him. In 5.2, we were told that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but in Christ, we can actually also rejoice in God himself. 
The reason why this can happen is because Jesus is the full expression of God. We see this in several verses in the New Testament, actually quite a few. Two of them are found in John 14, verse 9, which I'll read you right now, John 14, verse 9, unless Burke knows it off the top of his head. And um, 14, verse 9 says, um, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, I'm revealing him to you. I am revealing to you the Father. The other one is a wonderful passage. I'm going to read more than what I cited here, which is Colossians 1.15. But uh, the entire surrounding verses are just outstanding. So I'm going to start in 1.15, and I'm going to take you down a little bit. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that shows us what the invisible God is like in all ways. He is the image. That when you have an image, the word uh, we'll get to there, and it'll take a couple years before we get to Colossians, but when you have a coin and it is stamped, that is a representation. It is an image of something else, okay? And so he is the image of God. Everything about him represents God. You can't see God but he makes God known, okay? That's the idea that we're getting there. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's not from creation, he is before creation. He is over all, above all, before all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. If you have the New World Translation of the Bible, the Jehovah's Witness, they have inserted the word other into that verse. For by him all other things were created because they cannot stand the fact that the Bible proclaims that Jesus is the creator. God is the creator in Genesis 1.1. Jesus is the creator in John 1.1. And so they change the wording there, and then they get to this one, and they add in the word other. They used to italicize it or actually bracket it, saying this is inserted by us, and then they just took that out completely. They just added in the word other to the word of God. Okay, so they brought their own condemnation on themselves. But it says that um, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Everything, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is the word of God. God spoke the word. All things were created through him. He is God. All right. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. Okay, the word there is, uh, consists can be translated several different ways. All have the same meaning. The uh, NIV says, by him all things hold together. He's holding everything together by the power of his spoken word. That's confirmed also in Hebrews 1, I think, verse 2. All right, by him all things hold together. The Darby translation of the Bible, which is an ancient, the 1830s, I think, or somewhere around that time, John Darby did a translation of the Bible and uses the word subsist by him all things subsist he is the subsistence of all things okay the word consist in the uh, new king james version when i uh, read it it always makes me think of pudding because it has consistency and that's not what it's speaking of it's speaking of the power to hold something together subsist is a very good word for that so um let's see here uh, by uh um, all things consist and he is the head of the body the church, he's the beginning there. Who is the beginning of the firstborn born from the dead? He's the beginning there. That in all things, he, Jesus Christ, might have the preeminence. He is preeminent in all ways. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father. Now that is inserted, but it's italicized to know that they are giving you their idea of what it says. 
it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, the reason why they did that is because if you go back to a later verse in um, Colossians, it explicitly says it. So they put that in there. But if, even if you take the Father out, it would say, for it pleased in him all the fullness should dwell. Please something. What did it please? It means God, the Godhead, God the Father, okay? The Holy Spirit. It dwells in him. He is the one that reveals God the Father. He is the one that it, the Holy Spirit issues from, Jesus Christ. He is the one, okay? So that, that confirms that right there. And then uh, we go on. If we rejoice in Christ Jesus, then we are rejoicing in God through him as well. He is the point of reconciliation between God and man, and therefore the focus of our rejoicing. In this particular verse, the older King James Version uses the word atonement instead of reconciliation. This might lead the modern reader to a misunderstanding of what is meant. The word atonement, as used in the Old Testament, is the means of reconciliation. It is the sacrifice which brings it about. This is not what's intended here. Instead, it is speaking about the reconciliation itself. The old English use of the word implied at one meant, atonement, okay? It is the state in which we find ourselves. We are fully and completely reconciled to God because of Jesus. It's great stuff, all right? Our life, ap life application for this particular verse, the fact that we are reconciled to God is something that we should attempt to remember at all times. When we fall short and stumble in our walk, we should keep in mind that we are his and that we are united to him. Therefore, it's good and proper to return our heart to him with humility and an acknowledgement of his presence. We are reconciled. It is a done deal. Therefore, let us not act in a manner which is unworthy of that state. Okay? It's done. We are in him. We are reconciled. And so we need to attempt in you know, our limited fallen selves to act in a manner which is worthy of that. Get on the Facebook and it becomes more impossible. You know, have a, a long, hard day and have all kinds of things happen and go bad. It's almost impossible. We end up messing up, but we want to try always to represent Christ in the best way that we can. That is what we should hope for. That is what we should pray about. That's what we should ask the Lord to help us with. Because otherwise, all we're doing is we're bringing a stain on the glory that he has demonstrated by saving us in the first place. So. Anyway, it's 512. Sure. No, wait, he's got something. No, I want to ask. Yes. Is, is it Second uh, Corinthians 5? It says, be ye reconciled to God. Uh, be ye reconciled to God. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 5 what? I, I, I'm asking, is it is it Second Corinthians or is it first? Oh, I don't know. You go to first and I'll go to second, or, in, or unless you're already in second. I don't know. It, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 is the uh, chapter about the sexual immorality in the church. So it's got to be 2 Corinthians 5. You know, expel the, yeah. hand him over to Satan. That uh, Yeah, that's 1 Corinthians 5. So let's see here. Be reconciled to God. Um, I don't know. Why are you asking? It starts with verse 11. What's that? Reconciliation starts with verse 11 in chapter 5. In chapter 5. Of uh, what? 2 or 1. Two, Second Corinthians. Two, two five. Uh, so why are you asking? That's what I need to know. Because well, you said we are reconciled, but then Paul is telling these people to be reconciled, and he's speaking to believers. Sure. So that's what I was just saying. That's what we need to do continuously. We need to continuously be reconciled uh, because we are reconciled. Okay. This, it is a done. Deal. It, it is a done deal. But that's right. 
but we are the ones that the impetus is on us to continue to follow through with that. It's not saying that we aren't reconciled. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. I just when you asked, I wasn't sure what you were looking for. So um, there you go. Okay. So it's uh, two Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse eleven. She said. Okay. So um, five twelve. Uh, 12, beginning of a new paragraph, mine starts off with the title, Death Through Adam, Life Through Christ. Ooh, I love it. Uh, therefore. What do you do when you find a therefore? Figure out why it's there for. Yeah, you go back and see what it's there for. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1, and let's start reading all over. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because of all sin. Okay, read that again and then tell me what is implied in that verse. Read it first. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin, original sin. Original sin! It doesn't ever say original sin in the Bible, and people say, well, there's no such thing as original sin. You can't find it in the Bible. There it is. That is the implication which you get from this verse, and you can get nothing else. Having said that, I have strong disagreements with many people on this, and I, I don't hate them because of it. They can be as wrong as they want, and I still love them. That's fine. But what what does this imply when it says that, uh, let me read that verse to you again. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Okay? What does that imply beyond original sin? It implies something. Originator. Or an originator? Well, Meaning... Be, be specific. Originator is what? Somebody who starts something. And, but but what would you call that? God. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then it implies something else. He it's, he started something. What did he do? Sin. We're born in sin. Okay. I'm looking for something specific. We're not born in sin. No, I'm talking about the, the first words. Therefore, just I want you to think this through. Well, Therefore, wait, wait, wait. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Okay. Forget anything beyond that. Okay. What is implied? We have original sin, but what is implied before original sin? That it was there was sinless. nobody that was unsinful. Okay, that's true. I, I, I keep going. How many men were on the earth at that time? One. Okay, so what does that imply? There was a transgression. That he was the original, which means that he was, it begins with a C and ends with re-aided. Was he was created. Man did not. Did not evolve. Man did not evolve. That's what I want you to think through. I know I, the reason why I'm asking you these things is because I want you to think about what the Bible is trying to teach us. Man did not evolve. Man was created. One man was created. One man fell. Long-term evolution is not true. I don't care what anybody says about, look at the evidence. There are seven, I have There's somebody, no evidence. E- what, what, I know, no. somebody emailed me about this today, and he was sincere, and he wanted to know, and I get this question a lot, and these are people that struggle with the same thing that I struggled with. I went, was raised in Sarasota, Florida. I went to Philippi Shores Elementary School, I went to Brookside Junior High School, and I went to Riverview High School. What do they teach there? Evolution. They teach evolution, and when I met the Lord, I struggled with the concept of a 6,000-year-old earth. Okay, and this guy emailed me today, and it's something I said, if you have any specific question on this issue, we can go through it, and I will get you to the point where you will say, okay, I agree with you on that. But I I went right to the Bible, and I gave him some evidences which show that there can only be one possibility. But let's get away from that for a second. What is one of the things that they say proves evolution? 
or a, a, an old, old universe? Carbon dating. Carbon dating, okay? Radioactive dating. All of these things. This rock is here. That's um, uh, granite, and it's 16 billion years old. This here is limestone, and it's only uh, 7,000 years old, right? Okay. When God created the world, did he create granite and not limestone? He created everything, right? He created the tree with the seed inside of a fruit, okay? If you have a tree, and I'm, I'm saying this so that people will understand this because it all bears on what this verse is saying, okay? He created a tree. If you go out and you look at a tree over there and it's this big around, it's an oak tree, and it's this high and that wide, what do you say? That tree is about that old, right? And yet, if that tree was there in the Garden of Eden, it didn't exist the day before. That tree has the appearance of age, right? It, it appears to be, we'll say, 37 years old. Okay, it's got 37 rings in it if I cut it down. Where did that tree come from? It came from a seed, right? And where did that seed come from? Another tree, right? And so that tree was 327 years old when it dropped its seed, and that you keep going back. There's mulch or there's organic material for the tree to live, okay? God created everything. That's what it says in the creation account. If God created everything, then everything had the appearance of age, including Adam. Right. And the proof of it was, and I say this from time to time, the next day after he was created, what did Adam do? He went yeah, yeah. to the DMV to get his driver's license, <laughs> and they wouldn't give it to him because he was too young. He looked like a 30-year-old man, right? But he wasn't. He was a day old, okay? He was given wisdom of a man 30 years old. He knew how to speak. He knew how to reason. He knew, knew how to logically think things through. But a baby can't do that. Somebody that's a day old, and yet he had that in him. He had the appearance of age. We could go through the stars. We could go through every single thing that God has done, one question at a time for the next two hours, and I could show you every single instance that you ask how that can fit into a short-term creation. I have no problem with that at all, zero. I have no problem with anything having the appearance of age and yet being 6,000 years old or less. But having said that, the Bible does not allow anything other than short-term creation. This is what I told him. Try to remember this, okay? I've never heard anybody ever teach on this particular avenue of proving this. But the reason why I do is because I was asked I was doing a, uh, a, a Bible um, thing on sh long, short, and uh, another type of creation, three types of creation, a paper on it in Bible college, okay? And then I was also asked to do, in another class, a um, paper on morality. And I came, two thoughts came together in one place which is the creation account. And so I was able to look at it and say, wait a minute, that's not possible. What does it say here at the end of the sixth day of creation in Genesis? This all, once again, bears on what we're talking about in Romans. This isn't a, a sudden deviation. This has to do with original sin. It says in the sixth day of creation, God made the, the let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man. Verse 28, then God blessed them. Okay, verse um, 29, and God said, see, I've given you every herb, verse 30, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird, blah, blah, blah. Verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was tov me'od, very good. Uh, all the other days it says good, on the sixth day it says tov me'od, it's very good. So, the evening and the morning were the sixth day, okay? First thing, evening and morning does not imply long-term creation. If it says evening and morning, then the 
pattern which God has set for all of creation is in the creation account. Evening and morning is a day. Evening and morning is, the reason why I'm saying this is because the word day in Hebrew is yom, and it can be used exactly like it is in English. We say that the day of the Lord is the seven years of tribulation, right? That's the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath coming on the earth. It's seven years long. We can say, well, I uh, spent a day and a night in the, uh, the uh, sea, and that could mean a month, right? It's just a term that we use. The word day is based on the context in which you're using it, okay? So, when you say morning or evening and morning, you're speaking of what? A long term, you're speaking of one day. God has a pattern which he has set, okay? He has set it in there. It doesn't matter, oh, well, uh, evening and morning can mean 10 billion years. It cannot, but forget that. We'll just go with that. Evening and morning implies a day. For it not to be a day, evening and morning, for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day would mean that the Bible is starting off on the very first page of Scripture as being deceitful, right? It's being deceitful because when Moses received those words, he said, this means a day. And when Paul read them to, or uh, what is it, uh, 1,500 years later, yes, about 1,500 years later, he was still believing that a day was a day. Okay, nothing had changed. This didn't change until the 1800s when a guy named Darwin came along and started making stuff up. Okay, anyway, here's what it says on Genesis chapter 2 is an insert into Genesis chapter 1. In other words, it's a fuller explanation of what's going on in Genesis 1 gives a, a broad brushstroke of creation, six days of creation, right? Genesis 2 explains how in the process of creating man and what happened on that first day. Everybody understand that? This happens a lot in the Bible. God will take something and he will explain it here and it belongs right in, it's tucked into here, okay? So here's what it says. Verse, uh, I'll start in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, he had just created him, and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Okay? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may free, freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The man was created. Okay? He didn't evolve. He was created. That's what it says. He took him from the dust of the earth and he created him. He did not evolve. This man was created. Okay? You can't get, unless you're a complete imbecile, you can't come to any other conclusion than that God created Adam. He didn't evolve, right? You cannot evolve into original sin. If you evolved from a monkey that evolved from something else, evolved from something else, there's no such thing as original sin. It's evolved sin. Well, isn't that the point of Darwin? Yeah, that is the point of Darwin, and it's impossible to be reconciled with the Bible. If man evolved, then there is not original sin, and therefore we have no need for Christ. But we'll go on. Wait. It says, and then, um, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast, blah, blah, blah. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to him, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of verse 20, it says, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place. Okay, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Did she evolve? No. no. The Bible says that he created this woman from her, just as he created him from the dust. It was an act of creation. And then he created the woman from a rib, implying that there is one man and one woman on earth. 
not somebody before, and this one became the first sentient being all of a sudden, you know, going from monkey to human and all of a sudden realizing that he's a man. There's nothing like that in the Bible. Adam was created, this one was created. What did it say in verse 18? Somebody read 18 again. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be It is found. not good. What did it say at the end of day six? Very good. It is very good. If it is not good in that day, and it is very good at the end of the day, on a day when they were created, not evolved, then that means that it is a 24-hour day because everything was good at the end of that day. And if you want a little substantiation for that, go to Genesis chapter 5. How old was Adam when he died? 930 years old. How old was he when he had his son, Seth? 130 years old, right? Okay. Seth came before or after Cain and Abel? After. So that means that Cain and Abel were there, and then they grew up. They got old enough to kill each other, right? And then eventually, sometime along, the Lord gave them Seth to replace the loss of their son Abel, right? All of that happened in less than 130 years. It doesn't matter how long. If all of that can happen in that much time, then God certainly can do it in six days, right? Instead of 130 years, because that is the in, the, the absolute age of the earth at that time, or of, of man at that time is 130 years. There is no evolution. There is no uh, uh, long-term creation according to the Bible. And once again, I'm going to have emails about this tomorrow. I'm going to have people upset about it. Sure. It is not correct thinking from a biblical perspective, which this word is to be taken as a fact, unless it is obviously met metaphorical. The mountains clap their hands and the, you know that kind of stuff. There are certain types of uh, writing in the Bible that need to be taken in a certain way. But when it comes to the creation account, it is intended to be taken as a literal account. But everyday okay. science is proving that's right. that evolution is impossible. It, that's right. And I'll give you one more after you go. Go ahead. Well, it's just that, you know, the, the chromosomes. It's the like, chromosomes, everything. It's, it's impossible. It to fits in there. That's right. And you had something, too. Well, I was, I've said this before. The day that Mount St. Helens blew. Oh, yes. They had said before that that it took so many years for different types of... So many hundreds of thousands yeah, of years. right. But in one day, millions of years, all of a sudden, the scientists sat up and said, oops, this happened in one day. In one you know? day. That's right. Okay. So here, here's one more evidence for you. And I, I, I've said this to this class, but I don't think I've said it during Romans, but it's important enough to repeat it. Does everybody here remember Ida Fossil? Yeah. Okay, Ida Fossil was the fossil that was found back in the 80s. It was cataloged and it was put into a drawer at the British Museum. And eventually they get around to pulling out all these fossils and they pull them out and they analyze them. Ida Fossil is this thing that looks uh, looks kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's like a lizard or something. It's got this long tail that hangs around, okay? It's got a, like this. And Anyway, it's got this long tail, okay? Ida Fossil made the news on every major... Time Magazine, I think, maybe not, Scientific American, all these big things were so happy. Why were they happy about Ida Fossil? It's because finally, we'll give him some arms and legs, he looks lonely without it. Finally, finally, they found, give him a smile too. Um, finally, they had what they called all of the scientists, the Harvard Journal, I'm sure, came up. They all were so happy. They have found something, and they called it a term that everybody uses all the time. Mm -hmm. The missing link. Missing link, right? They they found the missing link. Okay, so 
I had somebody actually, because I'm a Christian and I'm saying all this Christian stuff on Facebook all day, I had somebody that made their uh, profile page and they called themselves Ida Fossil. And the reason why they were doing that was to make all the Christians look so stupid. And so they friended me on Facebook. I'm Ida Fossil and I'm going to prove that you were wrong because here I am and we have proof now. The missing link. This is finally the proof that everybody has been looking for all of this time. It proves Darwin's theory. Guess what happened? Go, if you don't believe me, type this in because type in Ida Fossil into your browser and all of those articles are still there. This yeah. is the missing link. They're all still there. If you find one, tell me whatever magazine you pull up and uh, just to prove it because it's still there, Ida Fossil. And guess what happened not long after? As a matter of fact, Ida Fossil, I said to the, the Facebook Ida Fossil, I said, guess what? You'll be proven wrong in no time at all. And within very short amount of time, like three months or maybe less, they came back and they said, we have made a mistake. This is not the missing link. Okay, so here's a question for you. If there was no missing link before Ida Fossil, and now there is no missing link since Ida Fossil, then that means what? There's no missing link. That they have not one bone of evidence on this planet, not one, to prove that we evolved. There's not one bone, not one, and yet it is taught in schools as if it is the absolute truth. What what magazine do you have there? Mine is the Scientific American, or no? I, I looked up the hoax. Oh, mine's New Scientist. New Scientist. There's one right there. You'll find others like that. They all they were all on because they thought we are going to prove now finally that Christianity is stupid and that these people are imbeciles. And if there was no Remember this term. If there was no missing link before Ida Fossil, and Ida Fossil was not the missing link, then there is no missing link. There's no evidence at all. Always remember that so that you can tell people. That's important to understand. From what I've told you there, and from what the Bible proclaims, evening and morning were the first day, evening and morning, blah, 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 all the way through the sixth day, that everything was good at the end, very good at the end of the sixth day, and yet there was something not good on the first day. That means that creation must be true, and short-term creation must be true, unless the sixth day does not match the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth day. Oh, those were long ones. I've had people come to me and say that. Well, that's the sixth day. You've validated that the sixth day is a one day, but the first day was billions and billions of years. That means that the pattern which God has laid out in days one through five, which doesn't match day six, is an invalid pattern and that God is confused in his word. That's what that means. Go ahead. You said two is an explanation of one. In 20, verse 26, let them. Right. He says them. Let them rule over the flesh. That's right. So, so he created Adam and Eve. That's right. Over here he's telling how he's he did telling it. how he did it, yeah. and then it inserts that's exactly right. Verse 126 or 128. Yeah, 126. 126 explains what happened after it happened in Genesis 2. It is an insert, so you're absolutely right about that. The Bible is self-validating, and I know that people get testy about this, and they want to argue this. Don't argue with this with me. I will not do it. If you want to know about an issue and how to reconcile it, I will give you that information, but I'm not going to argue with you because, to me, it's not worth it. I'm here to teach what I believe is correct, and if you don't believe it, let it go. Okay, I believe that the short-term creation is correct, and it's the only possible explanation from the biblical record. Whatever you want to believe about all those other things, it is not possible from a biblical perspective, and that's all that matters to me. 
Okay, so I'm not going to argue with people over this. It, 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 it's, a, it's what we would call scripture tennis. I love a verse and you love a verse. And it goes back and forth and everybody's trying to prove how great they are at scriptures. The Bible doesn't allow that in this case. Short-term creation is all that the Bible allows. If it's not correct, we have a problem with the Bible. Okay, let's go on. Um, this is original sin in the verse that we're looking at right now, having been defended from one man, having been created, and having fallen according to Genesis 1, verse 3. Or I'm sorry, 3, verse um, uh, Genesis chapter 3. That's forget what I said about um, 1. Okay, anyway, this is uh, 512. The discourse of Romans 5.12 through 5.21 is extremely complicated, okay? It's extremely delicate and highly debated. It is given, among other reasons, to show the contrast between Adam and Christ and the nature of sin versus the nature of righteousness. There are several prevalent views on the nature of man and his state before God. These go from the concept of man being totally depraved, that verse that I, or the, that uh, thought that I emailed the college about, and incapable, totally depraved, and incapable of choosing any good at all on one end of the spectrum. That would be what Calvin says. You are completely, totally depraved. You cannot choose good. Well, I guarantee you that I can prove that wrong right now because I married Hedico Garrett, and I can choose good. It is possible for me, okay? I want you to know that that Calvinism, they say, well, that only pertains to things in the world. It doesn't pertain to things in God. Listen, if I can see the best woman on this planet and marry her, no offense to all you other ladies, okay, but if I can see that, okay, I'll say the best woman for me. How much more can I see the good in God and respond to it? Okay, Calvinism takes things to an unintended extreme that the Bible does not proclaim. Okay, If there is an ultimate good and he presents himself to me, as we were talking about in the previous verse, and says, I'm offering you terms of peace. I can choose that. That is an ultimate good. If my wife is the greatest good below the ultimate good, and I can choose her, I can certainly choose even beyond her. Right? And I remember when I first met the Lord, I know she was offended by that. Because all of a sudden, I had a higher love than her. Right? If She never said anything about it. But I'm sorry, Mom. You don't take number one position, okay? Hedico doesn't, my two children don't take the number one position. Even our puppies don't, okay? Nothing takes number one position in my life but Jesus Christ, the offering that God has made to me, okay? Yeah, and so if I can choose all of this other good, I can certainly choose that, all right? So we're going to go. Um, the, um, these go from the concept of man being totally depraved and incapable of choosing any good at all at one end, to man being born without inheriting Adam's sin, but having the consequences of sin imputed to him when he first sins during his lifetime. That's another, that's the other extreme. It's like saying, you were born, okay, you were born, you know, you look at a little baby and you say, I better not get into that because I always get people upset at me about that one, so I'm just going to leave it alone. But that baby, according to the Bible, was conceived in sin. Psalm, 50, uh, Psalm 51 shows us that. I was uh, conceived in sin from my mother's. I was sinful at birth. I was conceived in sin, something like that. Okay, go read it yourself. Anyway, um, so great care needs to be taken here to understand. Oh, wait a minute. Where was I here? Um, uh, yeah, Adam's sin. Okay, great care needs to be taken here to understand our nature and our state before God. If our view of this is faulty, Calvinism here or that other, you know, you're not born with sin, but when you first sin, then 
sin is imputed to you. Okay, those are two extremes which are both incorrect, all right? If our view of this is faulty, there or there, or any of the other ones, then pretty much every single thing else that we believe about our relationship with God will be affected, okay? I may, if I think of it next week, I may take you through the uh, the um, uh, sublapsinarianism and uh, uh, prelapsinarianism and Wesleyanism. I may take you through those. It's the duck example. Some of you have oh, gone yeah, through yeah, that and you remember that. Good. Yeah, okay, I may do that next week. I probably should have thought of doing that today because it's something that will help you understand what we're talking about right here. Anyway, um, uh, the Bible from its very first pages, which we just saw, Adam fell, through, uh, fell and through him sin entered the world and that's what Paul has just said in uh, verse whatever we're in verse 12 he said therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men implying not just inherited sin uh, I'm sorry not original sin but also inherited sin every person that was born from Adam inherited Adam's sin it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't. A perfect example of this, though, when I ask everybody the question and they all agree with me, and anybody that doesn't agree with me has got the perfect child, and they don't. Did anybody here have to teach their child to do wrong? No. No. Everybody. <laughs> you stop that, you. Yeah. No, we didn't. But we do have to teach our child to do right. We already know to do wrong, and we will always choose that wrong when we can. It's just in our nature, okay? So um, the Bible teaches original sin and inherited sin, okay? This is from the first pages. All right, Adam, who was created outside of the Garden of Eden. Most people miss this. This is an important point. He was created outside of the Garden of Eden, and then he was placed in the Garden. And so it says, let me take you back there because I'm going to give you a little theology if you've never watched that sermon. It says almost every Bible that you read will say uh, this. It says uh, he put him in the Garden, and it said, um, then the Lord God took the man and put him. The word is, uh, I think it's nuach. It, he rested him, yanach. He rested him in the garden. He didn't put him there to do what it says next, to tend and keep it. That translation is not correct. He put him in there to worship and serve. Those two words are very important. They can be translated either way. But everything that was lost at the beginning is realized at the end. Guess what it says on the last page of the Bible we will be doing? We will be worshiping and serving not tending and keeping the garden okay he was rested in the garden he had been given god's rest okay and that is what we have been trying to get back to ever since this goes into the picture of the sabbath which we've gone through at least five times in the exodus sermons and we're going to go through it a couple times in the leviticus sermons the rest of god was promised to certain people the book of hebrews explains where that rest is found where is it found hebrews 4 3 in him we do believe um, in, uh, yeah, yeah well, in him we believe we have entered that rest. That is the rest that was promised from the beginning of the world that Adam lost. He was granted it. He lost it. And ever since then, we have been trying to get back to our rest. That's why we don't have to observe a Sabbath day is because the Sabbath day is fulfilled in Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. That's uh, Colossians um, uh, 2, verses 16 and 17. Those, it was a picture of Christ to come. He is our Sabbath rest. Now we do who do believe enter our rest or enter that rest, I think. Anyway, so then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to worship and serve. That's what it actually says. If you want to know where that comes from, it's Dr. Richard Howe. 
He's a, a professor of um, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek at Southern Evangelical Seminary. He did a great article called Rethinking um, Adam or Rethinking the Garden of Eden or something like that. Anyway, and he's absolutely right in that. The genders do not match unless you use the words worship and serve. We were there to worship and serve. Not that people say man was created to work. No, he was created to rest in God and to fellowship with him in intimacy. That's what we were created for. Anyway, um, the, uh, where was I? Okay, it says um, he placed him in the garden and he sinned. When he did, he was cast back out of the garden. However, before he sinned, God told him that out of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay? Adam did, in fact, eat of the fruit, and he was cast out. But he continued to live. How long? I told you earlier. Did anybody pay attention? 930 years. 930 years. You're close. Everybody was close. Good. We're paying it. I'm glad nobody slept during that part. Okay. Okay. On the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And then he lived to be 930 years old. Was God lying? That's what he said, right? You should surely die on the day that you eat of it. What does that mean? He spiritually died. He died. The connection to God was lost at that moment. And that is what is being portrayed in the Bible. The quest to get back to God, the spiritual connection, and entering the rest of God. All of the pictures of Genesis, Exodus, all of these Old Testament pictures are leading us to a point where we will come to Christ and receive everything that was lost. It is ours now. In its fullness, we possess it. We're not there yet, but we already possess it if we believe in Jesus Christ. It is as guaranteed as anything that God has said in his word. It will never be taken away from us. We have eternal salvation because of belief in Jesus Christ. The rest is assured, and the spiritual connection. What, as a matter of fact, there's a term. Somebody, I remember his name. I think it was Jesus. Jesus, and he said in one of the books of the Bible, I think it's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, what is it? What's the last one? John. John. And in chapter 3, I think it is, what is he? That guy Jesus in chapter 3 says that you must be what? Born again. That's what he's talking about, the spiritual reconnection. We're already alive physically, but we're not alive spiritually. God didn't lie in here. I hope everybody's understanding what's going on because this is being described by Paul in this verse and it's going to continue. And if you believe differently on any of the points that come, like the duck example, and I'll try to remember it. We've only got 29 minutes and we can't do it in 29 minutes. Try to remember to do it next week. It will help you to understand and process what Paul is speaking about here. Why Calvinism is wrong. Why it's so perverse that it just makes me grit my teeth thinking about it. And why John Wesley is wrong, okay? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, we have... Um, uh, we're born again. That is what we're looking for, okay? He lived to the age of 930. This tells us that the death God was speaking of was not physical death, but as all of these bright people said, it was spiritual. Although our physical death is also a part of our fallen nature. We die. The wages of death, it, the wages of sin is death. So we die spiritually, we die physically. So I say it at the end of the uh, sermon once in a while when I'm giving a call, I, I say that... Uh, 
Um, if you don't get the <coughs> second, the first death fixed before the second death comes, you will be eternally separated from God. You are going to go through that second death. Every one of us is going to. It may be in a car accident tonight. It may be from being old 50 years from now. But we are going to have that second death. If we don't get the first death, the spiritual death fixed first, we are eternally separated from God. Christ came to change that. That's why we open our mouths and tell people about Jesus is because it's the only way to get this one fixed so that we don't get this one and then get cast down there instead of going up there. Okay, so the old saying, it's good to remember, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Okay, and for those that are in the rapture, you don't even die once. So that's the best bonus. But for most people, the, the common theme is if you're born once, you die twice spiritually and physically if you are born twice meaning being born again then you will die once and then god will resurrect you back to eternal life okay that's the general pattern except for the rapture whenever that happens okay so paul notes that through adam's disobedience right here sin entered the world and death through sin adam's spiritual death was immediate and it was a consequence of his sin he did not evolve into it he didn't come from another man. He was the first man. He couldn't have evolved because the Bible says that he was created. So once again, I'm harping on these things because you need to logically think them through. If Adam came from another man and long-term creation is true, then original sin is not true. And if original sin is not true, we do not need a redeemer. There's no such thing as that, okay? Christ came on a futile mission. He's not Christ. He's just a guy. He died, and that's all there is to it. We're bugs. That is all we are. We're just bugs that are destined to die and go back to the ground, okay? That is the consequences of believing in anything other than Adam being created, not evolving into sin, but rather original sin. Everything is tied up in what Paul is saying right here. Does it sound? Here's a question. I, I, I uh, said this maybe in this class, but I think it was just to the guy earlier. I did say it in here. Moses believed in what? A literal creation. Paul believed in a literal creation. How do we know that? Read verse 12 again. Paul had no other theology than what it says in the Bible. If Paul believed in anything other than what he is writing here, then he's just deceiving us like everything else, and this book is absolutely worthless. Paul believed it with all of his heart. Adam was created. Adam fell. Sin entered the world. Everybody got that? Okay, it's that important to understand these precepts. Okay, so we'll go um, 930. Uh, Paul notes that through Adam's disobedience, he's writing about Adam. He's writing about him. He must be true or Paul isn't true. And if Paul isn't true, then we can take that out of the Bible. And I've already showed a couple weeks ago, if you take out Paul, everything else in the Bible falls apart. Everything is combined into one unified whole. You can't take anything out without ruining the whole. Okay, so... Adam's spiritual death was immediate, and it was a consequence of his sin, created, fell. The moment that Adam spiritually died, there was a chasm placed between God and man, which could not be traversed by man. I say this every Sunday. Somebody explain that to me. It cannot be traversed by man. Why? Because God is infinitely infinite. Perfect. That's right. Just infinite. He's infinitely perfect. He's infinitely holy. He's infinitely righteous. Just the word infinite in his case. We are <laughs> finite, and we are within time that God created, and we're going forward in time. If we're going forward in time, then we cannot go backward in time before our first sin, and certainly not before Adam's first sin, which we inherited. Okay? There's nothing that we can do about it. It is done. 
All right, he is infinite, we are finite, and we cannot mate, meet God in the infinite realm. It is impossible. That's why Jesus is so important, is because he is the God-man. He is infinite here, he's finite here, and he can say, I will be the bridge. That's what we're looking for in Christ, is to get back to the infinite realm where we can be reconciled <laughs> to God through him. Human in his one nature, God in his second, or in his, his other nature, okay? That is what makes the bridge possible. And without him, it's not possible. As I said, we're just bugs that are destined to die. The world's going to blow up someday because the sun is going to go supernova, and it doesn't matter at all. And I remember when I was in school, I remember when I was told that. I had always just thought that thing would things would go on forever. You know, that's I'm five, six, eight years old, whatever you are in school. And I was, and the teacher said, well, that's not correct. Someday in 1.8 billion years or something, he said the sun is going to go supernova and the world's going to be destroyed. And I remember thinking, how hopeless. I mean, I, that's the only thing I could think. It's just, you know, and if you teach that to a, an entire country or an entire world full of people, that it's all hopeless, then what are those people going to do? They're going to live for right now. Yeah. They're going to do whatever they want. And that's what's happening in the world. Ever since yeah. this lie has been brought in, diminishing the word of God and introducing something which is completely false, the world has been completely spiraling downhill. Because there's no there's no good end. And if there's no good end, you might as well live it up. The, the, the bumper sticker that used to be around was so stupid. He who dies with the most toys... Wins. Oh how how utterly ridiculous. You win what? It's so stupid. And then the one that came right out after that is, I am spending my children's inheritance because there's no hope. So why save for them? Because they're going to save for somebody else. And eventually the last guy is going to have to spend it all because the world's going to supernova. It's pointless. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a firm beginning, a sound plan of redemption, and that Christ will reconcile us back to God where we can worship and serve him with the spiritual connection reestablished. And it's already done in Christ. Once again, yeah, go ahead. People that will run away from this book and this world, they'll still say, well, I'm a good person yep. and I'm going to go to heaven. Yep. It's like, okay, but you just said there's no God. What's heaven? Yeah, what, what is heaven? What is that? Yeah, like, you know, you're just like a, a bug. You're a just a, you're, you're a, a vibrating <laughs> thing that's going to end someday and your right. your essence is going to just be consumed by, you know, a, whatever <laughs> eats you, a hyena or something, and it's just going to go on from there. That you're right. There's, it's just hopeless. So I don't. I. It, but, you're but right. Still, they, they, they. I'm going to heaven. They got something that they yeah. know. That there has to be something else because they know it. it they don't it, want to believe. He has fully. written something on the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. What? He has written eternity on the hearts of men. Okay, it's written right there. We know it's true. We just want to push it out of the way because if the sun's going to supernova, I might as well enjoy myself in the process. So anyway, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, I already said that, but I'll read it further. Because Adam was in the stream of time, he couldn't go back and undo what he had done. Time moved on, and the consequences of his sin continued. Paul now moves to the thought which is so highly displeasing to the fallen sons of Adam, and which is so divisive within theological circles. He notes that Adam's death, which was spiritual death, we've just established that because he lived 930 years, and either it was spiritual death or God lied to him, God didn't lie, it was a spiritual death, all right, was a result of sin and thus spread to all men because all sinned. All right, I'll explain this and I'll give you an example if I didn't write it here. Anyway, um, what the Genesis account clearly shows and which follows throughout the rest of the Old Testament and also which necessitated the coming of Christ is that all humans have inherited Adam's sin. 
all humans are in Adam three ways. Legally, we are legally in Adam. He sinned and he is our federal head. When, uh, if Trump does something and he blows up another nation, he is our federal head. We will suffer as a nation the consequences of what he does. Just take the last eight years and see the consequences that we suffered because of what he did, right? We are in our federal head in this government. And that's just an example of what is being said here. Legally, we are in Adam. We are potentially in Adam. When Adam was created, every one of us was potentially in Adam, and we are seminally in Adam. In those three ways, let me read them to you. Legally, Adam is our federal head. He is the first man from whom all other men would come. Just as the president, oh, I said it already, the president of the United States represents its citizens, so Adam represents all who come from Adam. Paul deals with this very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be done with Romans real soon, and we'll be into 1 Corinthians, and we'll get to chapter 15 within the next six years, okay? I promise you. So, he, if you want to know where that is described, him being our federal head and us having to move to Christ, it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a passage I bring up every Easter, every single Easter, or Resurrection Day if you don't like the term Easter. It's, it is wonderful to see what God has done in Christ to get us out of Adam, okay? But legally we are in Adam. Potentially, it says in Genesis 5, 3 and 4, these words, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had, meaning 800 plus 130 or 930 years. He lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. That's right. They are, how many did he have? Does it say? No. We have no idea. They are all potentially in Adam. He could have had 50 or he could have had 500. And if he stopped at three, he could have still gone on for another whatever. Go ahead. Uh, what do you think? Did the wives of Cain and Abel, were they? They were sisters. Absolutely. That's not a problem. People try to throw it. The movie, um, uh, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Spencer Tracy did um, Inherit the Wind, where he was the great lawyer that shut up the Christian about, you know, the uh, Darwinism or evolution being introduced. What a poisonous movie. I lost all my respect for Spencer Tracy in that movie. And the, the, the pastor sitting there and they asked that question. He's like, oh, I don't know. Where did he get his wives? Well, it says he had other sons and daughters. The gene pool was perfect back then. It was just Adam and Eve. And so you could have your sister as a wife, and then you could marry your your uh, aunt, or you could marry your uh, niece. It didn't make any difference. And that's what people did, even to the time of Abraham, marrying his sister. Yes. Eve came out of Adam. Eve came out of so Adam. So talk about, you know, the ultimate uh, problem with the incestual thing. It's Absolutely. Like, okay, you're basically... Husband and wife. Right. He's, yeah. Of, of one flesh. Yeah, it's it like, is you know, no problem. The Bible has no problem with that issue all the way down through Abraham and until the law of Moses, that's what people did. And then the law of Moses came and said, you're not to do these things anymore. Why? Because the gene pool is starting to break down and you need to diversify, okay? You need to... And that's why that was introduced. It's a logical time in human history for that to happen, okay? Uh, we don't want arms growing out of our forehead. All right, so potentially he could have had all of these children or any more or whatever. Or, you know what, if he wanted to, and I'm not saying he did, I'm just saying that if he had another wife, okay, he didn't. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just giving the example so you understand. He could marry one of his own daughters, okay? And he could have had potentially five million more children, right? 
The point is not that he did that, but he could have done that. All human beings are potentially in Adam. Doesn't matter. That verse right there, Genesis 5, 3, and 4, shows us this, okay? All were potentially in him, and all that were actually born actually came from him. In the same way, any normally functioning person could have any amount of children or no children. Every person who comes after them is potentially in them. And a jillion other possible people could come from the same stream. Another perfect example, which ties in right with this, is abortion. There are billions of children, I won't say billions, but there are hundreds of millions of children which have been killed. They never had a chance to live, but they were potentially in Adam. They were actually in a mother's womb, and they potentially could have had many more children, but they were denied that right. Everything is potential. Everything. We are progressively actuating potential. That is what human beings are. I am progressively getting older. I have the potential to get older, and until I die, I'll keep getting older. And even after I die, something about me will still get older. Oh, there's his teeth. That's 3,000 years old, you know, whatever. Okay? So we are progressively actuating potential. My beard is currently a mixture of gray and other colors. Someday it will be all gray. It has the potential to turn gray. It will turn gray. As long it has the potential to catch on fire and burn off. It has the potential to grow longer. All of that, everything that around us that is physical has potential. That's what human beings are. We are potentially, we are um, progressively actuating potential. That chair is progressively actuating potential. It's getting dusty. The metal is corroding. If I put a new seat on it, then it's a different chair, but it's progressively actuating potential. Think about that. Think about these things while you're thinking about the Bible because they all bear on what's going on in human history, okay? So, going on. All were potentially in him and all could have actually been born. They could have had any amount of children, no children. Every person who comes after them is potentially in them and a jillion other possible people could come from the same stream. <laughs> Seminally, this is the third way that we are in Adam. Acts 17, verse 26 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, okay? There's no such thing as blacks being less than whites, Chinese being better than, you know, Koreans. We are all one breed of people. How we got the color we are, how we got the eye chink or no chink that we have is explained in the Bible, okay? It's explained, and we can very quickly see how the Bible can be validated in a very short amount of time. All of these different colored people, all these different heights of people, but we all, when we cut ourselves, we all bleed the same colored blood. And if I go over to Japan and I donate blood, they can use it in a Japanese because we're all from the same parent, okay? We are seminally in Adam. All right, again, in Hebrews chapter 7, Levi is said to be in the loins of Abraham. And thus he paid tithes to Melchizedek, even though he wasn't even born yet. Okay, Levi was, what is Abraham? Had Isaac, had Jacob, who had Levi. And yet Levi, and speaking not of Levi himself, but the Levitical priesthood, which went on for 1,500 years, they paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. All of those people were in, in Levi, who were in Abraham, who gave money to Melchizedek long before they ever existed. And the Levites today, who are going to be working in the temple when they rebuild this temple, right? All those people are still in Abraham, and they're still paying tithes, thinking they're going to earn their way to heaven until they come to Christ. We are all seminally in Adam, okay? 
Levi wouldn't come for three more generations. He was Semele and his father before he ever existed. All right? All of us are in Adam in these three ways. And thus we all bear his sin in these three ways. We are born spiritually dead. This is demonstrated by the account of Cain and Abel and what occurred during their lives. There is a sentence of condemnation hanging over our heads from the moment of our conception, and it is merely waiting to be executed. Something external needs to be introduced in order for the sentence to move us from condemnation to restoration. What will this be? It's coming in the next verses. Okay. Now, before I go on, I brushed over uh, Cain and Abel, so I want to explain that, but go ahead. No, no. I was just checking to see what was coming in the next verse. Okay. Yeah, it's coming in a second. But getting my hands. Oh, getting your hands ready. Okay. So here's what we have. Cain and Abel. Let me just read you the account so you understand why I'm going to read it to you again so you understand. I don't want to brush over something without fully explaining it. All of us are in Adam in these three ways, and thus we all bear his sin in these ways. We are born spiritually dead. This is demonstrated by the account of Cain and Abel and what occurred during their lives. Were Cain and Abel potentially in Adam? Yes. Yes, because they were born and they came from him. Were they seminally in Adam? Yes. Those are the two easy ones. The question is, were they legally in Adam? And well, here's, he was, here's the answer to that. Well, what, what are you, Genesis 1. Gen, I'm going to go there right now, Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to end with chapter 3, though, the fall. We'll start Stop at, uh, Start Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Okay? Man now knows good and evil. He did not know good and evil before. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, dot, 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 dot. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. Now he's going to work, right? He wasn't intended to work. He was intended to worship and serve. He's going out to work. So he drove the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Verse chapter four, verse one. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. What sad words. If you know what that means, I've given it in several sermons. Go back and watch them, and you'll understand. And then even more sad words. Verse 2, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit to the ground to the Lord. That is the first thing that is recorded after their birth and their naming. That's the first thing, right? There's nothing else that the Bible gives about their life, nothing. Their age, it doesn't tell what they did when they were, uh, you know, uh, three years old or 12 years old or anything. It goes straight from the fact that they were uh, born. It says, now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And then the very first thing it records about them, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And then it says in verse 4, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Okay? What does that tell you? They came to the Lord with an offering, implying that there is a disconnect. They were legally in their father, Adam. That's what the Bible's telling us. It brushes over everything else in order to get us straight to the heart of the matter. These boys have to come to me with an offering, and without one, I cannot 
accept them. And he didn't accept one of them anyway because his offering was not the right offering. It has nothing to do with the fruit of the ground. It has nothing to do with that that was a lamb and that he had blood in it. It comes down to one word and one word only, why he didn't accept Cain's offering. Faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 explains it. By faith, Abel's offering was better than his brother Cain. Faith. That's all it comes down to. There are fruit and uh, meal offerings that are a part of the law of Moses. And they picture Christ. And they, they perfectly satisfy the Lord in that type of offering. It has nothing to do with the type of offering. It has to do with what accompanied the offering. Faith. Okay? That's where that the answer is to that. By faith, Abel. Okay? So, they were... We know potentially, we know seminally, and now we know <coughs> legally they were in their father. They were fallen, and they needed to approach the Lord in the manner that the Lord prescribed. Those are the three ways, okay? We don't have time for another verse. So um, we're going to remember where we are, and then I'm going to read you my life application. So 13. We've stopped at 13. I will read you my life application from this verse. And, uh, oh, this is such an ex- – Paul is just amazing, isn't he? Yep. He writes these things, and you'd never know that there's so much involved in them. 513. Um, okay, life application. We are all in Adam from the moment we are conceived. You know what? I said it, and I'm just going to read it to you before I finish that, just so that if you have not heard this psalm and you for, forgot to write it down, I want you to know where it is. And it's Psalm 51, and we'll just read it so that you know I wasn't just making stuff up. Psalm 90, 59, 56, 53. Wow, 51. They're in order. How did that happen? And it says, verse 5, Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me okay there it is right there original sin inherited sin even if they're not said in the bible they are implied in the bible you can't get any closer to it than what paul said all right knock them on the head if they say that's not in the bible we are all in adam from the moment we are conceived we bear adam's guilt but god has sent a remedy to cure this fallen state are you going to trust in your own righteousness before god when you're already fallen Or will you trust in God's provision to bring about restoration? Choose wisely. You know, you think of Indiana Jones, and he walks into that that, uh, room, and he got all the cups. You know, he got through the... the, uh, he got through the three tests to get into the cup room where the chalice of Christ is, and uh, he says, which one is it? Which one is it? He says, only one will bring life. All the rest will bring death. He said, choose wisely. And when the first guy took it and he blew apart and, you know, turned old, and he said, he chose poorly. <laughs> Don't choose poorly, okay? Choose Christ. Yes, sir. I need you to connect the dots for me. Dots. We talk about, you said it's by faith and it has nothing to do with the shedding with the, the blood. Yes. What about the verse? Without the shedding of blood, there is There's no, no remission of sin. of sin. That's no problem there, okay? okay. The uh, We even went through, I, I think it was, you see, you don't attend the Le- Leviticus sermon, so you don't know this, but the <laughs> the meal offering in one of them was actually considered as a blood offering for a poor person, okay? Um, remember that? that was They had all these, and he said, if you can't afford it, then we'll do that. Why? Because it, even that pictures Christ. Everything has to picture Christ. Okay, and so it it is true that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But those were not offerings for expiation of sins. Those were offerings to the Lord of fellowship. Those were peace offerings in order to have fellowship with him. Okay, which is not for expiation. It's for each of these offerings. And there's a lot of them. 
And everybody here that's paid attention to those sermons knows every detail perfectly. So you can ask them after the class. But that, that's the answer to your question. If they were just simply. Let me put my thought back together here. Okay. Well, anyway, without the shedding of blood is speaking not of the blood and bulls and goats anyway, because that can never take away sins. It's speaking of Christ. And so he's the Messiah. They are looking forward to the Messiah and they're wanting to fellowship with God because of the promise of Genesis 3.15. So the blood that's shed has nothing to do with the offering here. It has to do with the offering here. That is the offering. They're looking forward to the Messiah. So the, without the shedding of blood only pertains actually to Christ anyway. And because you uh, asked the question, you get to close us in prayer. And make it loud so they can hear you out there. All right. I'll try. All right. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you just to praise your mighty name. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for all you do for us every day. Most of all, we praise you for sending your son to die for us that we might live. Lord, it's just so good to be able to sit under Charlie and, and listen to what you lay upon his heart to share with us, Lord. And just learn new things every time I come in, Lord. To clear up issues that uh, I may be struggling with. And he's always has an answer for me. If not, then he knows that he'll find it and come back to me. I thank you for it. I pray for each one here. Thank you for uh, your willingness to come out and, and to fellowship in, in your word, Lord. And just pray for each and every family here and, and to just bless them and meet the needs, Lord. And just pray your will be done. And, uh, we thank you again for your son. Praise Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, let me back this puppy up here. Oh, back this baby up and. Uh, the what? The what is? Evolving. Evolving. Yeah, that's a that's a fake news word. A real fake news word. There we are. Okay, we love you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you later. See you Sunday. Okay, we turn off live. Turn off record. This is on YouTube today's. It will be. It's already there, but I have to publish it to make it live for you. But it will be there, yes. It's there now. The people that are watching, they can go back and it'll be on there live for a few more minutes. And then it goes into like a a buffer. I don't know. That's why I can't see their comments. If these people comment, I'm left out of that. But when I go in there, I have to make a couple changes, put the verses on there, and then say something like um, uh, make it public, put a photo on there, and then it's done. So that's what I do when I go home. It usually takes less than an hour, you know. But anyway, come on. What a great word he's given us. Oh, beautiful. Anybody that wants uh, 1.0 or 1.25 glasses, come and take them. Take all you want. Take If you wear them, if you don't... Have a wonderful evening. Take good care.